Hello, you wonderful people. If you haven't already, make sure you sign up to our Patreon account. The link will be in the description of this podcast, but you can also go to patreon.com forward slash Pod. For as little as four euros a month, you can help us out and become part of our little community. You'll get early access to all of the pods and you'll also get a monthly newsletter from myself and Jim. So basically two monthly newsletters where we'll talk about stuff that's going on in our own personal lives and what we've been thinking about slash inspired about. We also are asking you guys to get involved with the podcast so you can send in questions for our upcoming guests or you can suggest to us people or topics you would like us to interview and explore further. Um, We love you. We hope that you love us and hopefully just by giving us as little as four euros a month, that's basically, it's not even a pint in London that you can help us become an even better podcast. Thank you all. In a world full of everything, everywhere, all the time, it can be very challenging to have time to pin down what's really important to us and keep focused on these aspects of ourselves and our lives in the midst of omnipresent content and distraction. Ranit Herzfeld is a woman who cares deeply about helping people reach an intimate connection with themselves, their deepest selves. She is a social worker specializing in psychiatric crisis and trauma and a social activist devoted to alleviating human suffering by guiding people to live a conscious, open-hearted life. In 2014, she began co-creating a community of diverse individuals who are deeply committed to authenticity, to consciously transforming our relationships towards ourselves, each other, and our planet. This community is called Leap Forward, and I've left a link below for anyone who is interested in learning more about their amazing work. This conversation begins, just begins to unpack the key processes and perspectives that have aided Ranit's and Leap Forward's growth towards a richer, trusting and more connected experience of life. I thank Ranit and the Leap Forward community for the kindness they have shown me over the last few months. And as always, thanks to you for listening. All the best, guys. Ranit Herzfeld, welcome to the Earthly Delights podcast. Thank you for coming on. How are you keeping? Thank you for having me. It's great to see you and be with you. It's 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 been a long time in the making, but uh, yes. I'm really glad that you agreed to, to give me your time and to talk about the things that we're going to talk about today. And um, because, as we both feel that they are very pressing, um, and and for the listeners, I just wanted to give a little bit of context for this conversation, and the context would be that me and Ronit would exchange emails. And I kind of asked her recently, what did she feel was the most pressing? Uh, what did she think were issues that were not really getting enough time? Um, and this kind of, this came to me because I also have been feeling recently that there's just so much content everywhere that everybody's just listening to podcasts. Everyone's uh, reading so many books. Everyone's listening to audio books. Everyone's doing this. Everyone, and I wonder how valuable are these and podcasts and books if we don't have time to really sit with them and, and sink it in and um i know you feel very similarly and so yeah i kind of wanted yeah i kind of wanted to to make a podcast in and around this in and around of kind of honing in on the idea of what do we really need in our lives is it really the frequency of kind of information that we're receiving 
or could we try and maybe decrease the amount of information but marinate more on that information? Um, well, I love the question uh, and I love the ir irony in it, right? Because we are actually applying the same thing that we're saying um, is <laughs> an issue here, right? So mm -hmm. we're using a podcast um, and are speaking about something that we say is an issue mm -hmm. while doing it ourselves. So just mm -hmm. want to make that visible. Absolutely. Um, <clears throat> and yes, uh I mean, right now, whether it's YouTube or it's blogs or it's podcasts or what, we have so much information coming at us. Uh, and a lot of it is really good information. A lot of it is valuable information. Um, and yet at the same time, it is um, spoken so quickly. Uh, there's almost like a volleying that goes back and forth. Mm -hmm. um, or even in blogs, there is a concentration of the material and words that are being used. Um, you could take a word sometimes and just write a book about that one word, you know, and really in, in the capacity to sit down and absorb it, absorb the meaning. What is it connected to in your life? What does it mean beyond the concept, the construct? How do we embody this information? We don't have the capacity to do so at the rate that it's coming at us and mm. at the rate of complexity mm. that it's coming at us. So I see both issues. It's not only how much information, but so often the information, the words that are being used have so many different meanings and mm. so many different associations mm -hmm. that maybe perceived by us in ways that are not their intended perception mm. and will or and or we will fill in the gap of what we think it means so yeah i think the communication in general by the way is is very challenging right now for mm. us totally and even you made a, a very good point recently that i mean and, and i I'm 100% a part of this because I love this, where people are writing books about how we're living and what we're doing and how it's not working. And, you know, they're breaking it down. And there's there's many, like, skilled authors, investigators, um, speakers that are talking about this. And as you said, it's it's great to hear that, okay, this is, this is not working and, and why. But there's very few people that are saying, hey, this is this is working like this can work like this let's proceed as if um and i guess i wanted to this podcast to touch on that as well the to move away from we don't need to touch on we don't want to spend too much time on what's going wrong let's go well, what do we need what what will help us beautiful beautiful um yes yeah, so that uh, i just want to take kind of a step back and talk a little bit about the way that we perceive information Okay. And we, we have a capacity um, to hear something and it connects into something that, that resonates as, as a truth. And yeah, I see that. Oh, I see the way that connects. Oh, that feels right. That feels true. And that leads us to believe that I just got that information or I understand it. Now I know it and I can apply it. 
the reality is that we do have receptor cells for kind of like the ideal map of something, mapping it, the construct. However, on the embodied kind of real level, we don't really have the knowledge or the um, ability to apply that those words into a way of being, changing our behaviors. And, you know, I'm, I'm sure that most people can relate to, oh, I, I really want to be more patient with, you know, my child, or, you know, I want to be more sensitive to my partner in life, whatever. And we have this desire, we have this need, and we then hear something, we go, oh, yeah, I'll do that. I'm going to be able to do that. Uh, that's what I'm going to apply with my son. And then, of course, at the moment it occurs, you know, there's a whole implicit unconscious thing that's going on and a habit kicks in and we are going to be, you know, reacting from what our body already knows versus what our mind or our intellect knows. Mm. And this is what I feel is the gap that's missing right now. Okay. And just even beginning to call this out, that is, you know, where people share a map of how to do something in, in some ways that really mean something to us, but then it, they forget to remind, okay, so these are words, these are concepts, you can relate to them, they sound good, and they resonate for you. However, applying them in everyday life is a completely different story, and we need to really find ways in which to apply these in everyday life. And the way that that happens is by understanding what are my habits or my automatic reactions and triggers with people where once that gets set off, everything I've learned in the cognition or intellectual just goes out the window because my emotional world is going to take over right now and I'm just going to react in a knee-jerk way in a way that I did not want to, but too bad. That's just the way we are programmed. So mm -hmm. first calling that out, that mm -hmm. it's just not enough to know the what and the how in the map, like, okay, you can get from point A to point B. But then on the territory, the, you know, the map uh, is not the territory. And in everyday life, it looks very different and is not as readily applicable. So that is a, um, an area that I am passionate about. I'm passionate about helping people get the proper step-by-step -step kind of micro- instructions where they're able to begin to become aware of their patterns, their defense mechanisms, their reactivities that are often unconscious and create some kind of a system around them that they can trust, a community or group of people around them that they can trust, that people begin to know what are my automatic triggers what are my automatic reactivities that I no longer want to, you know, implement? I would like to really learn how to implement the new ways of being, the kinder, the more patient, the more generous, the more sensitive, the more compassionate ways of being. I need to learn how to do that. And will you please intercept me or pause me when you're seeing me react in a certain way and remind me of how I want to react? Mm -hmm. Am I right in saying then that part of your discovery is that people can't make this huge shift from information to uh, like embodied uh, demonstration of I actually am changing without a community, without people to actually help them in that process? 
Absolutely. And, and and think about it. You know, I mean, an infant is born into a social system. An infant is, you know, responding to his environment and is really is born to adapt. It's an organism that's that's equipped to adapt to his or her organism, I mean environment through the various and you know social structures that are occurring. So they learn how to be who they are. They learn how to develop responses and associations and relationships with themselves, with the their families, with their you know kindergarten classroom, with their teachers, with their significant others in many ways through socialization. So the programming occurs through so- socialization. It begins to kind of ingrain in them and become part of their ability to perceive the world and understand the world and organize the world, most of it implicit, most of it unconscious. And and so once those are ingrained, the individual continues to respond from that perspective, to react from that place. That's the automatic reaction. Now, if you want to shift to uh, and, and repattern or learn new ways of behaving, you need a social milieu. You need a, a group of individuals around you who are going to re-socialize you or repattern you, you know, in the midst as it's occurring, because that's the way the brain operates. It adapts to environments. It can't be just between you and you or you and a therapist or you and a friend. It has to be in the social milieu. So we all have to support each other in the new way we want to operate. And so for, for someone who, who's, who's listening to this and say, actually, this is resonating because I read this book last week on, you know, I don't know, mindfulness. And I really enjoyed it, but I just snapped at my partner there and it pretty much went against almost everything that the book was saying. Um, say if someone is listening in that kind of world, um, I, when you're talking about right next steps, because you know a lot of people don't have you know five seven people that they can really trust in a small uh, uh, geographical area, and that they can go okay. Well, when I'm when I'm acting out, he or she will call me out on it, and and but in a nurturing way, not in a very uh, kind of shaming way. And mm-hmm. um, yes. Uh, how what would you recommend for people who are in that kind of place they say well i I have the books but i don't really have the community yes so who do you have do you have one individual is there one person in your life that you feel um that may be able to be that kind of an ally and you both are doing it with each other do you have two individuals begin begin with whatever you have and whomever you have and right and and of course, it, it requires a certain kind of awareness, and and one has to learn about the way that we become reactive, the way the triggers take over. So there's a certain kind of reflection that needs to occur, where you know, let's say you're with a significant other, and you know that you are snapping at that individual. Um, then you want to kind of like pause and see what was going on that had you snap, what. What was the feeling behind that? What occurred for you? And there'll be a feeling of, you know, fear of domination or fear of rejection or judgment or, you know, um, I don't want to do this. Whatever that feeling is, you know, the fear, 
understanding what is behind it. So what we do is we invite, you know, members to pause each other. Okay, pause, which is hard to do when you're in the middle of something and you're upset. So that's the first thing that's the hardest to do. So you have to have kind of a contract of may, do you trust me and uh, do I trust you to pause each other and just like, you know, take some deep breaths and know that you are in an, in a loop right now. You're in an activated loop, you know? And so let's just pause. And by the way, that loop is part of the brain that is a fast system. So the brain likes to uh, conserve energy. So it really automates reactions and, and behaviors in general that we repeat often. It just automates it. So just to pause that fast system, take some deep breaths and let, you know, the slow system, you know, another part of the brain that is able to pick up information to just come in play. And that one can come in with a question, what are you feeling right now? So now you can observe yourself rather than be inside the loop. You can observe what's occurring for you. So training, what are you feeling? So pause, take some breaths, see if you can bring the the slower system to play. Witness, question, what am I feeling right now? See if you can connect to the feelings. Then there's usually a story behind that feeling. You know, I'm, I'm angry. Okay, what, what is the story behind that anger? The more that you label, the more that you witness, the more that you objectify what is occurring inside of you, the more distance you have from that emotional reactivity that's just kind of looping you. And so creating that space to just check in. And then once you tell the story, I'm, I'm angry at you because, you know, you want me to do this and I don't want to. So the other person may come back and go, oh, that was not my intention. You know, I didn't mean, that's not what I meant. So there might be an opening for a conversation. Whereas if you are in the loop and there's no pausing, you're going to say something that triggers the other person you're speaking with, who then will get into a loop of reactivity right back at you. And now you're often running the both of you into like a loop of loop of loop. And it's all mechanic. It's all automated. And all of it is going to lead you to nowhere except more distress and more disconnect from each other. So the pause, the breath, the what are you feeling right now? What is the story? And then checking with the other person and receiving the other person to get information that is beyond the automatic creates a spaciousness where there's an opportunity to actually begin to repattern to rewire your reaction to that particular trigger. This is great stuff. I'm, I'm really enjoying this. I am. Um, I'm reminded of particularly of this or what struck me most is the story, right? Because we think mm-hmm. we're just being, Oh, I'm just reacting to this thing because it's out of line. You know, we're not realizing very often that actually you're seeing this information or you're seeing this um, event in the lens of a particular story where you've always been ignored or you've been taken advantage of or, you know, fill in the blank. And I think that's exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I call it the virtual reality of childhood, you know, (laughs) we've, we, and which again is nobody's fault. It's just a way that 
we are wired the way our brain is wired and it's wired to just perceive information, find associations between information. So if mom yelled, you know, when I touch something, now I have an association of, of touch with yell, with fear, with I'm bad, with I'm wrong. I mean, we, we're, we're really um, uh, so creative in our ability to weave stories from that kind of innocent, um, you know, really young, uh, helpless, uh, and, 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 and simple-minded child that does not have all the information and is very self-referential. And so as the child grows and continues to have these repetitive behaviors in various ways around food, around love, around mom, dad, school, friends, toys, whatever it is, these neural networks are locking in and then the brain automates them so they can free the other neural systems to, you know, to learn and continue to grow. So once those get locked in, a mere stimulus, a mere tone of voice, you know, will automatically kind of like ignite that particular neural system of, oh, you don't like me. Oh, you're going to control me. Oh, you're not letting me do what I want. Oh, you hate me, whatever it is. And in, in the present moment as adults, when that's not at all what's happening. And we will not know what's actually happening until we pause that neural circuitry long enough to actually identify what is the feeling inside and what is the story so we can check it against reality. And it's a beautiful way. And if you keep doing it over and over again, and if you have people around you, if you can find at least one individual and then maybe increase it, that's what I've done with the community. I started with one individual and we just kept increasing it. You know, whereas now we have 16 and sometimes 20, it depends. Um, individuals who are able to do that with each other very readily, and then they bring it into their environments. Mm -hmm. And then they help and share it with their, you know, um, communities, their significant others. And so the ripple effect of pause, what are you feeling right now? What is the story? And what is true? just activating the slow mind, the slow brain, so that you can begin to think differently and perceive mm. differently. You, you mentioned um, what is true. Um, and I can't help but think that very often we conflate um, what is true with either what is familiar or what I think, what I think I agree with, and maybe this might be a nice tie-in as well because I know you want to talk about the ego as well. Um, can you unpack a little more about what is true? Because I think we we get that's a big word that gets very muddled. <laughs> You're talking about words that get muddled. <laughs> true is there. So if if you could kind of walk us through that a little more, that would be great. Thank you. Sure. Um, so in the context in which I was speaking, it's a little bit easier to find out what true is. That is, when we tend to be reactive around some trigger, if we pause long enough to connect to what we're feeling, what's the story behind it, and we check with the individual that we are communicating with, very often they'll say, that's not my intention. So we can actually find that that was not what the truth of what was happening for that individual. 
And so that's an easier way. And that's a really good one because it really helps relationships if we can do that on a consistent basis. So, so that's one kind of truth. Uh, of what is occurring right now. You're dominating, you, you're judging me, you're trying to control me, or you, you know, whatever it is. And it's like, no, that was not my intention at all. So that's a connection of relational truth. Of course, there are other kinds of truth in terms of perception of reality and belief system, right? So, um, and, you know, so we could take politics um, as, as a, or religions. I mean, these are, or nationalities or, you know, what are refugees and you know, all of that. There's, all of them have certain kind of clustered um, belief systems around particular religion or a particular culture, etc. politics. And that is really um, something that's obviously more challenging in so much as we come to identify with our belief systems it becomes part of our identity and our, our identity implicit in our identity is our ego attachment to who we are. I believe that this is good. I believe this is bad. And one thing that the ego doesn't like more than anything else on this planet is to be wrong. Well, it probably doesn't want to die, but it doesn't know about that yet. You know, it's kind of like there are layers and layers that are protecting us from knowing that we're going to die or living in the experience that we are, you know, finite and that we are not going to be here for the rest of our lives, especially the younger you are. Um, but, yeah, the um, fear of not knowing or being wrong is literally connected to survival. That is, if you think of the average child, the average child doesn't know much at all. So when we are little, we don't know. And that not knowing and being taught, you know, being um, shown where what is, renders us in a very kind of helpless state. So we kind of, you know, we need to very quickly demonstrate that we know so that we can feel accepted, we can feel good enough, we can feel valuable because the child's primary drive is to belong, you know, to be part of a family. And if you don't know something, then you're not, you know, you're not, you're going to be either judged, you're going to be criticized, you're going to be made fun of, you're going to be punished. I mean, there's a lot of things, you know, we all, we don't really understand the needs of a child and how vulnerable and how sensitive and fragile they are. And we just expect them to just get with the program. Hey, I told you not to do this. Why are you doing this again? Whereas these are words that are not embodied in their being. So they don't know what those words mean. It's through a lot of experience that they learn what they mean. But by then, the adults around them often are impatient and make them feel inadequate. So we all learn. We better, we better know. We better be in the know. And being in the know is tantamount to being belonging and being good enough and being worthy. And so this becomes part of our identity and part of our terror. Of course, it has a whole other piece that we can talk about later, and that is that we end up sacrificing our authentic self, our true self, because that's the other primary drive that we have, which is to be self-expressed authentically. But we can't because we need to actually defer our needs and our voice to the 
family to their belonging group. And so we suppress those aspects of ourselves to a great extent and just really co-opt into the greater group. So belonging is a very important piece of, of, of being. And so when we are um, identifying ourselves with certain beliefs, uh, whether it's in politics or it's in religion or culture or whatever it is, we can't afford to be wrong. We're not giving those up. So we're not going to be open to information readily um, because it is tantamount to, in a, on a very primal, visceral level, it's tantamount to being rejected and abandoned or not belonging. And so that's another part of a, another circuitry that's very deep within us because we have really suppressed this one a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so our ego will hold on to, I'm right. And it could be about anything. It could be like, why did you, you know, put the dishwasher, you know, the, the, the stuff in the dishwasher without, you know, doing X, Y, and Z. It's, it, and if you notice, most arguments, especially between couples and parents and children, is about who's right and who's wrong. Yeah, there is that sense of domination that actually occurs in there to hold on to my identity and hold on to my belief system. And I know, and you don't, it's dangerous for me not to know. And it's dangerous for the ego not to know. So Mm -hmm. we're all kind of locked in and many of us, not all and not all the time, but this is the, the way we operate predominantly. And we see it in our culture. I mean, we see the culture wars, Mm -hmm. um, uh, not to mention religious wars and economic wars and political Mm -hmm. wars. Did I answer it's, your question? It's it's complicated. It's, <laughs> <laughs> no, I, what I what came up for me there was how, again, speaking generally, is that we we find it hard to accept the possibility that we can only really know what's true for us, like what's true going on there, and then a true out there we can lose our minds trying to pin down exactly what's true out there. And I wonder, are we spending too much time wondering what's potentially true out there and not enough time wondering what's inside, what's true for me, what's happening here? Yes. I mean, that is, um, that's the outcome, right? Of the, or the implication of the system is that you can't really, as a, as a child, you can't afford to be in what's true in here, um, mm-hmm. because you have to conform in order to adapt and belong. So at some point when we're older, we're continuing to project, you know, um, how can I fit in? How can I belong? And um, it is extremely difficult for us to actually pause that and risk, you know, being wrong out there or not following the norm out there in the service of what is true for me and going and reclaiming the self, which is the most important thing we could possibly do. But frankly, there are, again, going back to what we started with, there are, there are no, the maps that are being given to how to go within to discover what's true in here are not really um, giving this step-by-step uh, kind of unpacking of the layers and layers and layers of protection and defenses that we have developed over the years in order to 
um, feel that we belong out there somehow, that we are part of um, society, and, 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 and it's vital for us to feel that. Mm. So in a way, the, even the desire for self-awareness, if you look at the books, and, and you know, there's so many books on you know, personal development and spirituality and, and growing, and yeah, but most of them are uh, all about the individual going within themselves, by themselves, which is not going to help them if they don't have a support group around them or at least one individual around them to help them see those parts of themselves that their ego will not want to see. (laughs) So you cannot really unpack yourself um, because you are literally wired to protect yourself from those parts of you that are wrong or those parts of you that are scared or in pain. And so we need to create environments where, A, this is universal. You know, we're all scared. We're all wrong. (laughs) We all don't know. In the greatest scheme of things, we don't know. We're doing the best that we can with what we've got. And can we come together as a group? And really um, sub- kind of acknowledge this truth and then unpack together and be vulnerable together and be transparent together. And therefore, I will belong to the not knowing. I will not be so ashamed because everybody around me doesn't know as well. And we cannot know together. We can be lost together. And then it will free us to actually begin to feel more deeply what's inside of us. And by the way, even then, it's very difficult because our system is wired not to feel this pain, to avoid feeling this pain. So we, you, we need a lot of holding hands. We need a lot of compassion um, and, and really a sense of like, you're okay and dealing with the shame, dealing with the discomfort in the body, which is um, you know, a path to how to help us move in the direction of beginning to challenge our ideas and our understanding of who I am and really who I've become and really uncover and reveal, discover step by step, layer by layer, the original self, which is absolutely radiant and magnificent, but we don't know that yet. You know, that's probably the most uh, incisive kind of explanation as to why we can't do it alone I've ever heard. I think it was really, really insightful. Thank you. Um, Maybe we can move on a little bit just towards um, how you closed your... your, um, your kind of exploration of why we need, why we've, why we've grown up and why we need to be right on some level and why it is fair enough to be afraid of being wrong and how, like you said, we've learned to dodge the pain and dodge these uncomfortable emotions or if they come, if not dodge them, do something that kind of suppresses them or rejects them, does something to to get you away from that feeling. And I guess what I hear from you and what I've heard a few times before is that, that these feelings are actually, actually the pathway 
to really, really learning about ourselves and that this pain that our culture doesn't really want to accept. I mean, I was just talking to you before the podcast about the sadness that I've been feeling recently that, you know, we kind of live in a world where, you know, there's no space for sadness. There's you know, and and if there's sadness there, well, oh, cheer up. I mean, there's it could be worse. And and actually, this time for sadness is is just as valuable as the beautiful times. Yeah. Um. So so there are a couple of things here, and I'll focus on the first, um, on the first direction that you led me toward, and that is, um, why do we avoid the pain? So. You know, as, a, as an organism, all organisms are, you know, programmed to move towards comfort. And because when it's when the organism is comfortable and it's receiving its, you know, it's fulfilling its needs in a way that will optimize its success for living. And when there is a pain, it's usually an indicator of something is wrong. Now, when we hurt ourselves physically, let's say, I don't know, you burn yourself in the kitchen or you cut your finger or something, we don't ignore that pain. We immediately move, bring all of our attention to you know the blood and say, oh, what happened there? So the pain is an indicator that something is wrong and pay attention and attend to it because you need to heal it. And we all do that with, for the most part, um, and, and we recognize that that's a necessary thing. If I have a, a constant, you know, backache and I can't move, then I'm going to go to the doctor, et cetera. So with the physical pain, we, we seemingly, for the most part, are, are paying attention to it, albeit there are also exceptions to that rule because of fear of going to the doctors, et cetera, but, won't, but just talking about the organism at large. Now, the emotional pain um, is a completely different world, and the... My belief, you know, and this is just me based on the work that I've been doing with so many individuals and families over the years, <clears throat> what, what occurred to me is that when we talked earlier about when the child is, is being socialized, and, but the child is really kind of a, a, an embodied organism. It, it's born hypersensitive to sound, to, to the, you know, vision, to taste, um, tactile. I mean, they're just like they have many more neurons than we do. They have than adults do. They're, we're born with 200 billion neurons, and by the age of 25, we're pruned to 100 billion. And so, neurons are right sensory in cells, and so among many other things. And and so we perceive ch- children perceive so much more and experience so much more, and they're much more emotionally sensitive, and they live in the world through their sensory. And then we kind of superimpose language on them, the symbolic language, which is words, but the words don't are not tangible. So it's not like a glass of water where they can feel it, they can see the water, they can drink from the glass, and they understand, okay, this is a three-dimensional tangible thing. I know what a glass of water is. But when we say to them, okay, it's time to go to bed um, because it's late, they don't understand the term late, and their body doesn't want to go to bed. So, and many of their interactions during their day-to-day lives is in the symbolic world. And so their body is constantly being assaulted by symbolic words 
that our parents are making him follow when they don't understand what those words mean. So there is a disorganization in their bodies, in their sensory, in their drives, in their you know needs with what the uh, society, the parental world is asking of them and demanding of them sometimes forcibly if they want another cookie if they don't want to you know stop playing if they don't want to take a shower i mean all of these experiences are assaulting them in ways and the words are assaulting them in ways that they cannot make sense out of it and we don't actually are we're not aware um that we need to kind of go slow and help them understand how these words mean in their bodies and and soothe them in a certain way. And so this constant assault, emotional assault, that sometimes is experienced as physical, um, whether the parents are screaming at them and then that's a a terror in their body or, you know, actually being hit in some way. So that pain just gets locked in the body. It gets locked in. And the child really, on an emotional level, I call it, becomes a flailing child. They're just flailing in this organization of just pain and discomfort and uncertainty of what is asked of them. Why is this happening? And they get to a point where they cannot tolerate the pain anymore at all. And so there's a part of them that begins to just dissociate from the body, just remove, literally, remove, numb their body and dissociate into the symbolic world and begin to live and try to grasp and understand the symbolic world, which necessarily numbs or diminishes access to their bodily sensations to a great degree. And that, that kind of reactivity, which is an adaptation for the child in order for the child to survive, um, is an essential part of numbing some of the discomfort and, you know, the kind of the incongruence and the disorganization that's occurring in the body. It, 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 it numbs that, but it also ends up numbing a lot of the other goodies that we get from experiencing nature or experiencing, uh, um, you know, a beautiful experience with another human being, like so connection in, in, in relationship, connection in the heart. Um, and so that place now, what I call the flailing child, is in there. The child then kind of like dissociates and moves into what I call the fraudulent adult where it learns how to live and operate in a symbolic world, in a fraudulent world, because the child is essentially has given up him a part of him or herself. And then this other space occurs in between, which is what I call the liminal space. And that's the space where when the fraudulent adult begins to feel some kind of discomfort or some kind of challenge to his or her identity or pain, the liminal space where a lot of the defense mechanisms, a lot of the protective mechanism that won't allow him or her to move to, to the flailing child level will then kind of come in and protect and protect the individual, protect the fraudulent adult, protect the identity, protect, protect the understanding and organization of the world as I know it from going into the liminal space and going deeper into the flailing child where everything is disorganized. So if we took away the identity, if we took away the belief system, the flailing 
you know, child is right there. And that places terror. It's disorganized. <clears throat> so a lot of the work that I'm doing with, with individuals, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> is actually holding them in, you know, and reflecting, you know, the kind of the fraudulent behaviors, holding that space and allowing them to move deeper into the liminal space to see their defense mechanisms and then helping them to move into the flailing child, that disorganized terror, discomfort, I don't know what's going on, I'm never going to get out of this mess, and begin to organize that space for them. But that requires an extraordinary amount of sensitivity, consideration, care, and appreciation and compassion for how painful it is to get to be exposed for the fraud, quote unquote, or the you know, wrong that I am operating in right now and override the defense mechanisms. There are so many protective mechanisms that won't, you know, will not let you, you know, kind of get to the bottom line of, okay, so if my whole reality in this area is, is, is completely deconstructed, what am I left with? I'm left with a chaotic, flailing child, and I don't know how to get out of there. So unless I have a support system to organize that environment that nobody had done before because nobody knew how to, with now a competent adult that actually exists in you that can bring that competent adult into the flailing child space with the support of people who are really there to help guide you and show you that you're not merely a fraudulent adult, but you're also a very competent adult that needs to go and integrate the flailing child so that you can you no longer need the defensive mechanism and you can actually integrate your wholeness into being and embrace and accept your limitations, your weaknesses, and your strengths and accept life as is. Now, that was a very complex thing, I think. I don't know. How did that land? <laughs> landed well for me. It landed well for me. I don't know. It's... Yeah, no, it... I think that what 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 comes up for me is that trust is that you you talk like really eloquently about this about the the levels and layers in which the child nearly all of us went through and how we learned mm -hmm. at certain certain emotions that, that oh we better we better dot we better rise above that we better go to the mind instead of feeling that pain because it's just too much and mm -hmm. um, and how people in their adult life need a competent adult to walk them through with that but i often wonder um is it are we talk are we exploring enough the level of trust one person needs to have with that because like you said you're handing over sure. a lot of a lot of that uh, child sensitivity and for sure you know, for sure and i'm not i'm not suggesting that this is easy um at all uh, the, the only thing i'm um kind of i want to illuminate is that there is a path there is a path and it works and um i know it works because we've been doing it with my community for the past 10 years and you know these are individuals from various um you know, cultures, socioeconomic backgrounds, um, religious backgrounds, and are all over the world and who've been doing it together for the past 10 years. And so we began, the whole thing began on a foundation 
of trust. And not that we had it, but pointed out. And the way that we established that is by um, naming certain values, choosing certain values that we were committed to showing up with consistently. And um, so the way I the way I define trust is um, being with integrity to who you are, uh, what you say, and how you describe yourself and how you show up. If you consistently be that which you say you are, then I can trust you. I can even trust you if you say, hey, I'm a liar, and I know it, and then you lie, then I can trust that you're a liar. So if there is consistency with, you know, I'm a caring human being, and then you show up caring, then if over time, if you operate in a very consistent way over time, and you acknowledge it, and you own it, then I can trust you. Now, what we did is we established certain guidelines, agreements, and values uh, in the community, and we defined them very specifically. <clears throat> so, for example, um, our first value was humility, and that is that you know, we are recognizing that we are, we don't know, we think we know, but we don't know. So we need to come into this exploration, into this experiment with each other, with inquiry, open-mindedness, and, you know, being willing to suspend our belief systems to some extent. Now, that is an intention. That is an intentional value. Another intentional value is conscious communication. I need to be connected to what I'm feeling, connected to what you're feeling, connected to what the context in which we're speaking and what are some of the triggers that may occur between us. Or another one is, you know, commitment to cooperation. I, um, you know, I understand that we can't operate individually in silos. We need each other. Etc. Now, for each one of these, it's not as if we showed up that way on a consistent manner because we didn't at all. But those were the values that we were um, committing to showing up as and inviting each other to call us when we are not showing up that way. And inviting that and inviting that I will listen and I will cop to it rather than defend or protect. And so with the various values and defining what they look like on the court and agreeing that I am giving you permission to hold me accountable and I will listen and not um, deflect when you do hold me accountable, over time, I'm going to become much more humble, much more conscious of communicating with you, much more cooperative, much more with integrity, etc. So um, the the whole idea of trust is that a we we hold a common value or values that we agree that we're going to operate from. B knowing that we're not able to operate from them at all yet, um, and but we are committed to doing so. And when I'm not doing so then I would like for you to hold me accountable. And if we do that consistently over time, so I'll give you an example. You know, in the beginning, people didn't have a sense of being on time. And so we had a meeting at 11 o'clock and people would show up at 11.05, 11.20, um, won't communicate about it. And so there was like no integrity with your being accountable to the community and to your 
agreement. You agreed to be here at 11. You're not here at 11. So when you come in at 11.05, what's that all about? And over a period, really not not long, um, of, a, of, of maybe a couple of, of times where people didn't show up on time, um, everybody began to come in and, and, and show up exactly at 11 o'clock. And if there was an issue, even if they were going to be two minutes late, they texted and said, I'm going to be two minutes late, I'm having a technical problem, or I'm just finishing on a phone call, I'll be two minutes late. So again, it's not being rigid. It's really about communication. That's conscious communication. So I'm going to be two minutes late or five minutes late because of such and such. Um, and And so with regard to our values, I can tell you that with our values right now, the community is um, 85, 90% consistent. And the level of trust is immense as a result of continually holding ourselves and each other accountable to being trustworthy, to being accountable, to being with integrity, to being predictable. I can count on you. If you're going to say X is going to happen, I know X is going to happen. And, and, or if, you know, like you're not yet in some area, I can count that you're not going to be predictable. And I'm, I mean, that you're not going to be accountable. And it's predictable for me in that regard as well. And we all, we, we take ownership of that. We agree. Okay. Don't count on me for that because that's not my strength right now. Who else can I count on for that? And so that's how the community operates in ways where we're constantly holding the space for people to grow into being more trustworthy. Of, through experience over time and consistency over time uh, while we are um, allowing them to be where they are, you know, and not making them wrong because it's just a function of, you know, reprogramming again or repatterning our behaviors. But we have aligned values, agreements. And that is, I think, a first place to begin for any kind of trust to occur. Do we understand the words to mean the same and in real life, in everyday moment-to-moment experiences? That's great. Yeah. Um, for, for people who are listening that want to learn more as well, I'll send the link. I'll provide a link for all the work you're doing at Leap Forward. Um, and this kind of beautiful interpretation of, of how, uh, beautiful method, how you, how people can grow together. And I really like that idea that, you know, if someone that you're, that you're working with, if you're, that you're building with is slacking with time, is slacking about something else oh i can get that in by that date and they don't it still leaves room for them growing just all right i can't rely on them for that particular thing it doesn't mean that they're a lost cause which i think is which is great to hear it's uplifting because we all have flaws right we're all going to be struggling in in some level um yes and and you know i'm just to to just to um refine that point a little bit there is a real clarity, um, and that comes from our understanding that we are part of nature, and we, just like nature, we're susceptible to the environment around us. And so when a tree grows crooked towards the light, we don't say, what a stupid tree. We, we appreciate that the tree is growing in that direction because it's seeking um, what it needs in order to survive. And we, human beings, are subject to exact same lawfulness, um, natural lawfulness. So if someone is not able to, um, you know, show up on time or, you know, they are inconsistent in saying they're going to, you know, deliver something and they don't deliver it um, or they don't communicate when they should have, we recognize that those are the environments in which they grew 
those things were not present. And so they were not instilled with those values. They were not instilled with those patterns. And yet they really are seeking an authentic space for belonging that where they can be fully self-expressed and, ex- and be accepted as they are. And so we don't judge people. We don't make people wrong. We understand how they came about, the various attributes and ways in which they're being, and we see what works and we see what doesn't work. We ask them what they what works, what doesn't work, and then we just help them find their authentic self-expression so that they can be liberated from the old patterns and be fully self-expressed in their authentic self. So there's a constant state of you're seen, you're cared for, you're validated, you're accepted just the way you are, and where would you like support in order to expand and connect more deeply into yourself so that you can free yourself from the patterns of the past. Thanks, Rishwani. I think this is going to really help mm-hmm. a lot of people. And why I think this is so important is because um, I think it was on our last call that we talked about how, you know, out there, out in the world, there's so many variables that we can't control and that there, things are going to go wrong often and there's going to be pain and there's going to be real financial difficulties, there's going to be personal difficulties. And I remember when I asked you and you said, yeah, but but we, we, we need to know that we have some, some people that are in our corner that can support us through this. And that if anything, that's what we need. That's because I am, um, I mean, I fall into the trap sometimes as well of, of thinking that, oh, you know, if I just do this and I just do that, I can kind of dodge this and I can be resilient here. And, but ultimately like I've found it hard as well to be, away in the world that I want to be without support of others and I'm sure there are loads of people listening that feel that as well you know that in their head maybe on a good day they're like this but on, on a bad day they're not so they're not so um, strong on those qualities and that it's it's good to know that on those days where your qualities aren't as strong there's still people that say hey you know we're in your corner we love you we care about you you know th- this is part of the process yes Yes, uh, life life is you know challenging. There, there are just there's so many variables that are coming at us that we need to um, juggle and and just recognizing that life has a lot of pain and a lot of pleasure. It has a lot of challenges and a lot of triumphs, and that neither one is the only way. Um, you know, the, the, this duality that we live in, it's all or nothing. No, it's, we call it this and that. Both can coexist and both do go ex- coexist. When we're caught in some kind of a negative, you know, kind of loop and where we're seeing more the darkness, it's so amazing to have somebody, you know, by our corner who is going to be able to like reflect, yeah, but what about this? Look at how well you're doing this, or look at what a beautiful day you had a week ago. And so to 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 help expand our perception of reality and the emotional, you know, kind of qualities that exist within us and allow us to experience simultaneously a variety of different experiences. Um, to want to avoid pain and to want to um, avoid um, uh, uh, 
challenges and difficulties is generally because we don't know that we can contend with them really well. And we can actually tolerate them really well. We have not been, you know, been given the tools and the and the kind of the practices and the muscles, you know, to know, hey, I'm not a child. I'm an adult. I can deal with this pain. I can, I can, I can pass through this phase. And I know that when I do, there's something beyond this moment. So having somebody to carry that pain with me, to hold that space with me where I'm not feeling alone where I'm feeling that I am part of a universal experience, which is all of us are in this at some time or another, and this shall pass as well. Mm-hmm. And then something else will arise. But I want to experience it all. I don't want to just have the pleasure because then I'm not going to experience the depth of the, you know, the heights of the pleasure because I can't experience the depth of the displeasure or the discomfort. So whatever we call into our lives, whatever we're open to, that's what we're going to receive. And so if we're going to open to, you know, like the pain, we will also receive the amazing, you know, pleasure and joy. They're proportional. Mm -hmm. And the kind of um, dissociation that we had done, which I mentioned before, where we had to move from the flailing child into the fraudulent adult and in a way suppress and numb parts of us, when we start clearing that and actually as adults can contend with the discomfort of the child and can organize that space and integrate it and that adult can actually deal with the pain and just open and become more porous and more porous and more porous to life, then it is absolutely magnificent. It's magnificent pain and it's magnificent pleasure and triumph. And that's where you feel so fully alive and that's when life takes on a different kind of vitality. I mean, honestly, the, the flowers are more radiant. You know, the, the sounds are more amazing. Everything, we become more porous and have greater access to what does it mean to be an organism on this planet right now and therefore have more options for imagination and creativity of solving, you know, different challenges that are arising within, between, and globally. Beautifully put, Ernie. I think, um, I guess if I was to think of a message that I could try and maybe come towards a summary is that we are not our patterns, right? When you kind of dissected how very often, emotionally speaking, the brain just goes, oh, okay, are oh, you feeling that? Let me just go through this story again. And because we're trying to conserve energy, right? And this is probably yes. information that people aren't familiar yes. with. And I can't help but think that if we can take something that which is crucial from this conversation is that there's a part of us that is a step further behind these patterns, right? And that there's a part of us that can be able to say, hey, what's really going on? And then through really difficult work and through feeling a lot more pain and a lot more praise, um, we can become more authentic. Because th- that that brain pattern that you talk about, it sounds so unauthentic. <laughs> it sounds so like, um, oh, let me just revert back to this thing that's been happening for four decades. <laughs> Necessarily, right? Again, yeah. the child had to had to um, utilize this kind of protection um, to give up a piece of himself or herself for that. So necessarily, that's the case. 
and yet you're right. Um, and and this is this is actually an, an indicator that a higher self lives inside of us is when we're hearing all these podcasts, when we're hearing these YouTubes, and we're in, uh, reading these books, and we're inspired by that idealized like possibility that lives within us. That's you know Plato calls the recollection of our original self. You know we're recollecting, we're bringing together the original self. That's the ideal part of us. However, we have to kind of work through the machinery, the mechanistic aspect of the patterns that have been wired along the way and hardened along the way. And we need to deconstruct those patterns. And then the new the organism will know what to do. So actually, all we have to do is clear the noise, clear the static, the signal is in there. But it's really dim right now. And, and so it's only in the idealized. How do we find a way for that signal, for that light, you know, to shine completely through? It's through clearing a lot of the noise and the strategies that the child had to implement in order to be able to survive in a very, very difficult environment. And as adults, we can actually handle those environments much better because we have the skills and the capacity cognitively, emotionally, physically, spiritually that the child never had. So let's mm -hmm. claim the adult aspect of us. Go and soothe that child, heal that child, and integrate the beauty of that child, the light, the curiosity, the awe, the wisdom, that original self. And yeah, we would all be healthier, more vibrant human beings. As, and the planet will be more healthy and vibrant. So that, we're, we're part of this ecosystem. So it's really the totality. Mm -hmm. This is fantastic. I'll be listening to this several times to really <laughs> let it marinate <laughs> in, let it dripple down. And um, I wonder if you if you would um, just for a few minutes, maybe like sit with someone who, like for instance, right? You say this to me, and I feel so good about it. You know, I feel like mm -hmm. she's really speaking something that's that's deeper than what a lot I'm here what. I, a lot of what I'm hearing and it also inspires me to know that hey I can move past these difficult emotions I can move past these patterns and um, and I would say it resonates with me I think it's true it's very really true and um, I trust what you're saying and I guess yes. I would be interested to know if there's something that you could provide the listeners with with for instance you know maybe there might be someone listening and say yeah I actually quite like um, what Renee is saying here, um, but because, like you said, a lot of us aren't so good at really feeling deep down. Well, how do we feel about this? Can you invite listeners to maybe go in with themselves and and ask themselves, well, if I'm resonating with Renee, or if I think I like what I say, how do I know um, that this is true for me, and how do I know that actually she's just kind of saying things that sound nice or that that I agree with, right? Because a lot of us um, just go, "Oh yeah, I agree with that," so it's true, <laughs> and so there's no real kind yeah. of wrestle work internally. Yeah, um, so that's a tough one, right? I mean, you know, because one can talk about one's experiences, you know, from my childhood and what I studied and all the practice and experiences I've done with throughout the 40 years and validate myself in this regard. 
Um, but that's not going to be, you know, something that is, um, I believe, is worthy of trust. At the end of the day, the trust occurs, and this is the way I've worked with everyone um, my whole life, is when you're feeling it firsthand, you know. So if there's anything I said that resonates and, you know, um, you want to validate it for yourself, in your own experiences, because that's the only way the truth really reveals itself to you. It's not believing somebody by words, it's by practicing or experiencing it personally. Then find an individual in your life and share this maybe podcast with that individual. Um, you can read, um, you can go to the website because it really gives a step by step kind of elucidation of our work, including videos of the work of how to pause, what are you feeling right now, and just the way the community works. In addition to another website, pause.us, which actually gives a whole bunch of other information. But then practice that. Invite somebody in your life and practice it in your life. Try it once or twice. See what happens. Because honestly, at the end of the day, the only way you can reveal truth is by experiencing the resonance in your body through experiences and not merely through the words. The words will point you there. The words are the map, they're right, they're the symbol, but the words are not the territory. And the only way that you can actually believe something and know it to be true is by you experiencing it in your body. So try that. Perfect. Thanks so much for your time, Renee. And um, before we end, I just wanted to ask: Is there something that you'd like to share that maybe I haven't we haven't touched on, or is there something that that I that I asked but you thought, oh, maybe I can I, I just extend this point, or just any closing remarks? Or um, I mean, it's funny, you know, what what arises for me right now is just this, this extraordinary amount of love in my heart for humanity at large, but in particular for you and and whoever is listening. And I know that we, you know, we bandy the word love in such a, you know, like what does it, it's another one of those symbols, right? It, it's, it's not something that's readily experienced, but we use it all the time. I love you, I love you. Um, but so what I can share with, you know, like what uh, what is arising inside of me right now is this overwhelming feeling of warmth and it's kind of like a percolation that wants that is just overflowing for me and has this extraordinary desire to like touch every person in their heart and just like feel me i i don't know how else to convey this beyond words um but just feel me and i yeah we we are love it's in there it's not a doing and it's not a feeling it's a knowing in the deepest sense of being of we want to care for each other. We want to promote each other's well-being and health. We want to support each other. We want to hold each other when we're in pain. We want to know we're not alone. We're all in this together. And I'm just like my, um, I'm just feeling that. So that's what came up when you said that. Lovely, lovely, lovely. Thanks so much for your time, Renee. And uh, my pleasure, my pleasure. And, Thank uh, you for creating the space. You know. No, I think it's it's really really crucial, and I hope that the listeners take take some of what what you've been providing. 
and sharing and um yeah and kind of do the science right as in hear the information and then see if it works for you and <laughs> absolutely it's all in that and if i may just um before we we end it's just mm-hmm. i just really want to acknowledge you and um just you came into my life through um a blog that you wrote about um uh, kendrick and um lamar and I was so deeply, deeply, deeply moved by you, and we shared it with the community, and we were so deeply moved. And I just want to express my uh, appreciation for who you are and the clarity and the wisdom that lives within you, and that you are uh, a ray of light. And I'm, I'm grateful to you, and I'm grateful that we got to get to know each other, and I hope that uh, our relationship expands. Thank you so much. Absolutely. Um, thank you so much for reaching out to me and, and having you in my life is a huge addition. Um, your warm heart is everything. So, yeah, your your welcoming nature and your openness and your um, sincerity is just also just uh, inspiring. And um, yeah, I, <laughs> I don't have too much, too much words to... Uh, express but just a very deep gratitude and and um yeah thank you for reaching out because if you didn't we would never have this (laughs) thank you so much i couldn't i couldn't not